Welcome to Seasons of Resilience. This podcast is for anyone who goes through challenges, difficulties, and loss, but recognizes that life is lived in seasons. We'll engage in comfortable and uncomfortable conversations. We'll share about the good and bad, the ups and downs, just how life is. To everything, there is a season and a time for every emotion that is experienced. Enjoy these stories of resilience. We are so glad you are all with us today. And today our guest is the lovely Brianna Nilsson. And Brie and I go way back. We were at school together studying music therapy a couple years apart. Um, we were involved in a lot of clubs together. And we also shared the same last name. <laughs> so our, both of our maiden names are um, Miller. So it's so funny saying Brie Nilsson. Um, but Brie is um, a music therapist in the Buffalo, New York area, and she specializes in doing hospice work, end-of-life care. And she's going to tell us um, her story today about what happened to her after the pandemic hit and the big transitions that she went through with her job. So Bree, would you love to uh, take it away and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you so much, Mavelle and Kim, for having me on your podcast. It's so awesome to be a guest. Um, yeah, so, I mean, everyone has been thrown tons of curveballs and experiencing lots of different challenges as a result of uh, the global pandemic. Um, and so personally, that impacted me on June 23rd when we were um, officially furloughed. But I guess be- before that, um, I should say, the first week of the pandemic, um, we were still going into clients' homes and facilities um, and servicing them and, and with mask and temperature checks. Then the second week of the pandemic, we were given the order to work from home and so support our patients and clients as best as we could from a remote um, situation. But at that point, we didn't have a telehealth platform up and running for music therapy. So really what that entailed was me calling patients and families and just kind of checking in um, and doing like support calls. And occasionally I could do like a music therapy visit over the phone. Um, But most of my population, um, most of my caseload, I should say, um, were individuals who were in facilities and at that point facilities were shutting down and they weren't letting any outside vendors in like whatsoever really um and if they had a telehealth platform up and running it was reserved for the nurses and doctors understandably um so unfortunately like we were deemed non-essential even though they said um, we were, you know, we are essential and they, the company recognizes the value of expressive therapies, but just in comparison to everything else and all of the barriers, um, we were deemed non-essential and they had received like a grant uh, or the PPE um, loan. Um, so that kept us employed through almost all of June. Um, but as 
throughout that whole like three months, like March, um, April, May, June, four months, I guess. Um, like we, my caseload just continued to dwindle just because of the natural nature of hospice work in general. And then also some families and things electing just to discontinue music therapy because of certain barriers with trying to continue and just be families feeling overwhelmed because it's just a really challenging time. Um, lots of like ambiguous loss. Um, and so, yeah, unfortunately, um, June 23rd, I was officially furloughed and then haven't heard too much since then. Um, just like possibly being phased back in, checking to see what my comfortability and availability um, is in that regard. But it's just, it's so new with like the pandemic. We don't know what things are going to look like tomorrow. Like we don't know if there's going to be another spike. Um, so and really just keeping the patients and families interests best and like their safety and their health is the primary concern. Um, and so limiting the spread is understandable. And then you can do that with the less clinicians that you have going out, even though unfortunately then they don't have those services. Mm -hmm. I just want to make a note Already the nature of your job as a hospice music therapist, you are dealing with loss and grief on a daily basis. That's just part of the job. And you know that going in, but there's no way that anyone could have prepared you for also losing your hours and getting furloughed and now not doing that work that you really love doing. How was it for you emotionally to, first, you were seeing clients with all the protective equipment and you were doing the job, you were checking in with people over the phone, and it, it, I could imagine that it felt like, okay, this might be the new normal, and then they let you go after that. What was it like for you emotionally through that whole time? Um, it was a roller coaster of emotions and I think like feeding off of the family's emotions too. So during those few months of support calls, like I just felt worse and worse calling families because I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Like, but how can you possibly respond? You're in the middle of a global pandemic. You can't see your loved one. Um, and, you know, there's so many things we're trying to adjust to. We don't know how long we're going to be in the situation. Like, I think something that's easy to, like, help people get through things is having timelines and having deadlines. Like, okay, I'm going to have to live this way for one more month, and then things will go back to normal. But that's not how this pandemic is operating. Um, it's like you think, you know, maybe things will return to normal in one month, and then that month comes. And, like, we live pretty close to Canada, Um like here in Western New York. And so it's the border closer just keeps getting, I mean, like the border reopening, I should say, keeps getting pushed back. Um, so at one point it was like supposed to open in um, July and then it was August. And now it it's like, maybe it'll open September 23rd, but I'm thinking that it'll probably get extended again. So just kind of living with that, uncertainty um and that I've been calling like my situation like feeling like limbo land um so I feel 
just a lot of like it sadness and like depression there's definitely been times throughout this season when I just and especially because we weren't able to see people and I'm a very social person um and the weather was like not great in March um so like couldn't even go outside so I just slept a lot and prayed (laughs) and um like tried to make the most of it but um it was really really challenging I can relate to um, some of of your, the feelings and empathize. Um, bec- um, I, I in my company there were some uh, similar instructions too, and that we moved to um, working from home and making telephone calls and figuring out technology and all seemed like we needed to make these decisions so fast and still support people because that's our job but at the same time we just didn't know how to even support ourselves you know like we were grieving and um this is one of the few times that I can say that we are we were both and still um you know going through an event that unites us, that we're both grieving, you know, and and it's so interesting because when you're supporting a client, you you can be a little bit more objective because you're not in that situation and you might be able to guide them and say, hey, you can do this and that, this might help. But in this situation, like you said, we don't know and it's uncertain for us to we're also grieving and um it was very difficult to to navigate and um I wonder what if anything um has helped you in uh supporting you know your feelings and your grief in all this um and remaining resilient Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think one of the biggest things that helped me was that, like, in that four-month period where we were, like, working from home, um, I just felt like a huge loss of purpose because it wasn't my job to, like, really call. Like, I just felt like I was doing the same thing that the social workers were doing and the chaplain was doing, and that I wasn't able to provide like that music support that I know is so beneficial to the patients and families. Um, and so I was like, well, I guess I'll use this time to learn more repertoire. Um, and so I actually asked first like my colleagues um, if they wanted to be a part of like a weekly like song share kind of format. Um, and they just, they weren't really interested. And so I said, okay. Um, and then I turned to our Facebook internet, like music therapy, uh, community and established like a song share, um, group that like met weekly and then morphed into like, originally it was like one hour and we each took a turn, like sharing a song from a different genre and how we could apply it to practice. 
Um, and then it morphed with like the current events into also providing a space and a place to talk and process through a lot of the things that we're going through a lot of, and, and like identifying areas of grief and talking about, um, the one week we talked about self-care, how like self-care is usually like the thing that you go to, um, to like help you get through things and stay resilient. But when you're also in a pandemic, like, a big self-care item for me was like going to yoga classes at this actual studio or going rock climbing and all of those things were closed down or going outside and it was too cold um so we kind of talked about like what other things we could do as self-care um and just like it just felt so validating to know that I wasn't alone Um, It just felt honestly so good just to talk about it and just to like stop denying it. Just be like, yes, this is unfortunate. This is happening to tons of thousands of people. Um, And we're all going to get through it together, but it's okay to like be sad. It's okay to like be feeling what we're feeling. Um, And yeah, so like just like if I wanted to sleep in, like I let myself... sleep in. I gave myself permission to do things that I normally wouldn't. And I looked for other opportunities to provide some sort of structure um, in my day. Although it took a while to kind of get to a point where I felt like I had a somewhat of a routine. Mm-hmm. And I bet just being like a social person, like you were mentioning before, having that group online, that song share probably was so or is still so fulfilling to you as a social being being able to connect with people again even even just online yes I I think a point about the online connection is interesting um because I in the beginning like that was all that you could do and so there was I think a little bit of emotional dissonance um with like wanting longing to have those connections but then also just being drained after like so many zoom calls and so many um you know video chats it's like I loved seeing these people but then also knowing that normally I could like actually see and hug and like be with people and then all of a sudden like that is also taken away um so uh when the weather started getting a little nicer my husband agreed that my one friend could come over onto our back deck. And so we started having bar classes um, every week or like twice a week. So that was super incredible. Um, And we just like usually ended up talking until like one o'clock in the morning on our back deck (laughs) Um, after we had exercised. So it's, I think like, again, just that community has been a huge thing to help me, um, to cope with the immense losses. Wow. So I can't help but think about the similarities between what the, the patients and families that we work with in hospice, what they go through getting that hospice, um, diagnosis and then prognosis. And then, what we've been going through in this pandemic with all of the unknowns, like how you said, you know, we're just in limbo. And I wonder if, if you felt like 
because we because you're getting a new experience now living through a global pandemic if you feel like those empathy skills or those skills that you bring to your hospice patients and families if that has strengthened over this time because of what we're living through Oh, absolutely. I think it's one thing to want to empathize with people, like, and want to empathize with our clients, but it's another thing to somewhat experience, like, our own grief, um, uh, whether that be, like, what we're, what we're experiencing now with, like, grieving losses of normal living, um, but also, like, having lost like my grandfather not too long ago, um, I definitely felt like that shifted my perspective and just allowed me to have a different lens into, you know, what patients and families could be experiencing. And not to say that that is what they're experiencing because grief is not one size fits all. Um, and you know, like I've seen it like described as a wave and like one instance, like after my, my grandpa, I call him Papa, um, after he died, I was like uh, at a end of life visit with another older gentleman and something just triggered like a memory. Um, and it was like how, I think it was that like the grandkids were trying to come up so they could say goodbye. And I didn't get that opportunity. My papa, like, lived further away. And so um, I just got started getting teary-eyed. And I, I was like, okay, I have to, like, get out of this room. I have to, like, I can't. This is counter-transference. Um, like, and then, so I, like, wrapped up the session as, as best as I could. Like, still a little teary-eyed. And then I literally just went to my car and bald and my eyes out and I I called my supervisor and I um you know I explained the situation and she just like validated everything and was like no it's okay like yes it's been a little while but it doesn't matter like it comes in waves and you know just take some extra time like if you want to you know take a longer lunch today you know you just need some time to check in with you like what are what's something that you can do for you today um, and so that was really powerful and really, um, like just encouraging to know and so that we can then impart that to like our patients and families and to, cause sometimes like you just need permission, <laughs> like you don't really need permission, but it just feels good <laughs> to like have permission. Um, so like yeah, no, it's okay to cry. It's okay, you know, to feel what you're feeling um, and to let them have that time to process. Yeah. And I feel like through this whole process, like one way that, that you've had strength through it all is by giving yourself that same permission. Like, I can sleep in. It's okay. <laughs> I can feel whatever I'm feeling right now. Right. But it didn't happen overnight. It was definitely like a struggle of just full normalcy, like falling apart um, and trying to like, you know, keep things together. And then just finally recognizing and accepting um, the losses. And like my husband was amazing and said, you know, like, I understand this is a really hard time for you. 
but like what are some things that like this is the most free that you will probably ever be um and so because he knows that I'm a very social person and I like to be busy and I like doing a lot of different things um but so just to have a lot of like alone time with myself and like to think about goals and to think about the future um and also just like read books again for fun um like pick up in my instruments that like I had always learned songs for patients and families but hadn't been learning a lot of my own like songs or just songwriting so lots and lots of different things but it was definitely a process and it didn't it didn't happen overnight and I'm we're I'm still grieving because um like it's still like my my job and and in America when you go to a party um like a cock like you with anything um people generally ask you like oh like what do you do and it's a very like American thing to to respond with your occupation as opposed to like who you are and like like what do you do could be like oh well I ride my bike or I rock climb and I do all of these things but no usually like Americans we lead with our job and it is like a big portion of our identity um so then like what do I do well what do I do like who am I without being like a music therapist um in this capacity I'm curious I'm curious to explore that a little more because you mentioned it before about the loss of identity the loss of occupation and the loss of identity and um i'd like to know more about what what are you you know saying now like what do you say what how how have you identified yourself how have you found yourself in a way too and um and the other thing is i i I wonder too, what are some of the changes in your routine that, you know, at first, um, I wonder if it was difficult to adjust to the new routine and, and what changes have you made or things that you have added? Yeah, um, so my routine has, uh, has shifted and I, I, again, it like just shifted again because I'm in school too. Um, with working on my master's in social work, like you, Mabel. And, and so had, I took some summer classes, which honestly, um, I was only going to take two, but then I decided, well, I have nothing else to do right now. So why not take one more class? Um, so that helped provide some structure. And then I had about a, a month off, um, which honestly went by super fast. So we're already like back in classes. And so I feel like school has been something that has helped um, me keep sense of like the days <laughs> and like, oh, it's Monday, I have class or, oh, it's this day. Cause like I would sometimes wake up and just like not like be like, what day is it even? And that made me think of um, even how our jobs provide that orientation too and how 
you know, working with um, patients who have dementia and how, like, disoriented, like, it it kind of gave me a different perspective of how easy that can happen. Like, if you don't have a sense of routine, you don't have a sense of purpose, um, and, like, you don't, I mean, and sometimes it's nice when you're on vacation and you don't have to worry about where to be and what day it is, and you're just like, oh, I'm on vacation time, but... Um, so that was nice for maybe like a week. And then I was like, no, I miss my (laughs) sense of routine. Um, so it, it ended up turning into sleeping in later, um, about like nine o'clock in the morning. Um, and then I would like check emails and, um, try to like do some sort of learning or studying, um, we'd go on like a midday walk with my husband and dog. Um, and then would kind of find something to do in the afternoon. Um, and then again, like would have some time with, with my husband afterwards. Um, and, or would schedule in like a time to meet up with a friend in a socially distanced manner or have a phone conversation with a friend, um, actually during this time, like our, our family has gotten together like on zoom and we've had some like pub trivia nights. Um, so like game nights over zoom and Jackbox we've played. Um, so it's been good to like have, have those kinds of things. And I would, I always try to have something fun scheduled in at least like one or two times a week. So it gives me something to look forward to. That is so cool. You've like created your own like ideal <laughs> schedule right now. <laughs> and I know, I know I, uh, we were talking a little bit about identity and like what a huge question to be faced with now. Who am I without my job? Or who am I without this normal schedule? So who do you say you are, Brie, without all that? Yeah, I realized I forgot to mention that part. <laughs> um, yeah, so my identity, I would say now, is like I'm a female, cisgender, um, and like yogi, um, like just really care deeply about people. Um, and I just really like living spontaneously and trying to have joy in every day. Um, and, but yeah, it's been a huge, huge shift of, uh, of like having an identity and like what characteristics I have as opposed to like my occupation. Um, and cause nothing really changed, um, but it felt like I'm still like Brie, like it's still like I'm the same person. I'm just not working in that position right now. Um, and so I've had an opportunity to really look into like, what jobs do I want in the future? Like, do I want to start a private practice? Do I want a family? Um, do I want to travel? Obviously we can't travel right now, but uh, <laughs> like, thinking about at the end of being in school, 
um, like we've talked about maybe going on like a three week vacation in somewhere in Europe or something as like a big celebration. I've also thought about, um, you know, trying to get better at, at Spanish and so, and, or other languages and looked into be like what a, a polygot is. I, le- I learned what polygot was, <laughs> which is just a person who knows a lot of and speaks a lot of different languages. Um, and so I was like, well, maybe that would be really cool. And, um, you know, so just to be open to the season of time, um, and just learn, um, and also just rest. And so like, I can also like, so my identity, like I, I've recognized, like, it's okay to rest. It's okay to, you know, be active at these other times. Um, so I found like a healthier balance. Um, I feel, which I definitely want to continue when and if (laughs) things eventually go back to normal. So just that chance to like really slow down. Yeah. I feel like, like in everything that you're saying, it's like you bring up how, um, this is really difficult, but this is, I could also see this as a gift. Yeah. And like recognizing, like I'm a creative, innovative, like resourceful, warm person. And so like having more time to connect to friends and things that maybe I wasn't stewarding as well. Maybe I, either of us weren't stewarding like super well, just because of life gets busy and if people don't live close to you, it's hard to lose touch with people. Um, but so kind of rekindling some of those relationships and investing in them. Um, so that's been really like a, a positive out of the, the pandemic too. Well, so Bree talked a lot about seasons and how this season has been so different, but you've learned so much during the season and through the season and it seems like learning and resting are at the top of your priority list when it comes to going through grief. Um, so I just wanted to ask you one last question. Um, what are you taking with you from this season of resilience into the next? That's a great question. I think as I've, I've said, just, um, taking that it's okay. Um, I think really just like validating myself, um, and recognizing I do have like supports that I can turn to. Um, but I think for me being such a social person, it's been really powerful to recognize the power of those self affirmations and not always needing affirmations from external sources and community. Um, so that's been a huge takeaway and also just, you know, life is short and we don't know what, you know, happens tomorrow. Um, so I think it's just helped me also appreciate life a little bit more and the, the gifts that I've been given, um, and to cherish those and to cherish the relationships in my life and recognize like, yes, jobs and money, they're all great. They accomplish a goal, but at the end of the day, like 
you know, you don't live, um, work. What, shoot, what is that quote? Um, (laughs) I think I know which one you're talking about. (laughs) I think you do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't help you out there. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's, you don't, um, work to live. You live. No, you don't live to work. You work to live. That's probably it. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cool hearing you talk about how you have all the the power within yourself to validate yourself and and empower yourself. And at the same time, you're recognizing, probably very similar to all of your hospice patients and families, how what matters in life is relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and experiences. Well, Brie, we thank you for being here and for this wonderful conversation. Um, Before we leave, I want to ask, where can people find you and connect with you? Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's been really great. Um, And if people want to find me, I'm on Instagram at songbirdbrie. Thank you for listening. We look forward to having you in our next Resilient Conversation.